Good morning. Am I on? Yeah. Okay. Um, first off, uh, Matt Cook, he's a police officer. He wanted me to announce that they're doing their last training for, um, I think it's negotiations, like a, let's see, training for their negotiator team. And he's looking for volunteers to come in this Thursday from about 9.30 to noon. Um, it, and they kind of do, it's the last training of the year, and they do like a negotiation uh, situations like robbery or hostage and work-related violence. So I think you kind of get to partake in it, and you can do whatever part you want, but it's basically you get to be the person in trouble, and I think they have to kind of talk you down or something. Is that right, Kayla? Is that kind of... You've done it before, haven't you? And I think Kayla's going to do it, and I think Nate's going to do it. So um, Matt's looking for a few more volunteers to, to get involved and do that, and I think lunch will be provided on that also. So um, if you want, you can talk to me, and we can, I can get you Nate's number. You can text him if you want to know more information or anything about that. That'll be this Thursday from, I think, right next door from 9.30 to 12. <clears throat> Um, Steve also brought up uh, a guy at work. Was that today, Steve, or yesterday? Yesterday had a mild heart attack. And so let's just pray for, is it Tim? Tim, um, for that. So God, we just ask for, for some mercy and help and healing in Tim. We ask that you be with him and he, he come to full healing, that his heart, that he be okay. I ask for, for help for his family through this time and just be with him. But we ask for healing for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, we can turn to John 8, uh, 30. So last week, Nate talked about truth. And I kind of want to talk about that also along with a few other things along with it. Um, so, so, um, Nate kind of said, you know, two plus two is four. That's true. But now when you go two plus two point zero 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 one is four. That's not true. That's, so anytime you mix and you have something that's just slightly off of the truth, it's no longer truth anymore. So that's kind of what I want to take a look at, is, is kind of look at some of the scriptures about what it says, and then make sure we're not watering down or bringing down what it's actually saying. Let's keep it the reality of what it looks like or what it's calling for, and then take a look at what that looks like for our lives to live towards. Uh, Nate had brought up about Pilate, and he said, Pilate said, Jesus said, I am the truth. He says, what is truth? And I've kind of had that same question, like, what is truth? Because, I mean, Jesus is the, the, the truth. He, he brought the truth. He is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so what is truth? Titus, in Titus 1, he tells us, truth is the knowledge according to godliness. So truth... Jesus brought the knowledge according to godliness. That's the truth. So the truth is knowledge according to godliness. 
So let's look at John 8, 30. As Jesus spoke these things, many believed in him. So he said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. We are Abraham's descendants, they answered. We have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he's saying, the truth will set you free. Titus just told us what truth is, knowledge according to godliness. So if you abide in this word, you will know the knowledge according to godliness, and that knowledge will set you free. That's the truth that he's talking about. That will set us free. I'm going to jump to 1 John 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the very start. This is why the Son of God has has, was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. Anyone born of God refuses to practice sin because God's seed abides in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So now if we take that scripture and we recognize that anything that taints that a little bit is not now the truth. That's a pretty strong scripture if you look at that. That's what we're literally called to. We're literally called to walk, being born in the Spirit, having no more place of sin in our life. He who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. So now what about, so you say, okay, but what about forgiveness? Isn't that where forgiveness comes in and kind of covers our sins and makes us okay? Because what do we do? How does forgiveness fit into the situation? Because I thought, you know, we sin, we're forgiven. That's what it looks like. But I'm going to go jump into Numbers 15 because we know a lot of the New Testament is actually based out of the Old Testament. It was kind of concealed in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, they've basically revealed the Old Testament. But a lot of what we read in the New Testament is actually quoted a lot of out of the Old Testament. So we're going to look at, at, at Numbers 15, 20 through, 27 through 31. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, he is to present a year-old female goat as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the person who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when the atonement has been made for him, he will be forgiven. You shall have the same law for the one who acts in error, whether he is a native-born Israelite or a foreign residing among you. But the person who sins defiantly, whether a native or a former foreigner, blasphemes the Lord that person shall be cut off from among his people. 
He shall certainly be cut off because he has despised the word of the Lord and broken his commandment. His guilt remains on him. So now we see two different situations happening right there. He's saying, okay, this unintentional sin is, is forgiven by, by the shedding of the blood, the, the sacrifice. But this defiant sin is not atoned for. So that's the distinction that we have to be able to understand that when he's talking in 1 John just now, he's saying, he who practices sin. So if you have sin in your life that you have that you're, you're not getting out of, that's a practicing sin. You're, you're, you're partaking in a repeated thing in your life that is an offense. He says in the Old Testament that wasn't even accepted back then. Intentional, defiant sin is not forgiven. That is not sacrifice. Now we jump to Hebrews, Hebrews 10. No, I'm jumping around. I like to do that. It seems like a lot. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 26. Okay. If we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sins remains but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume all adversaries. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and insulted the Spirit of grace? So he's saying the same thing again. From the Old Testament... To the New Testament. The one who's come into the understanding of the truth and then continues to sin, there is no atonement for that. So we have to recognize when we think that we're saved because we're forgiven, it, we're not. It's not the necessarily the part that saves us. It makes us right with God. For his forgiveness and his sacrifice makes us correct with God. We don't have the account on our lives anymore, that we have a judgment against us. God paid, Jesus paid that judgment for us so that we can be righteous with God again. But the forgiveness of sins isn't saving us. It's his spirit in us that saves us to live un, a, a godly life, not, not walking in an offenses against God again. So that's where this difference of understanding uh, intentional sin and unintentional sin. Things that are in your life that you haven't dealt with, that are a reoccurring problem that you kind of just keep doing, saying, forgive me, God, that isn't covered. That's not covered. You, that, is, that, is, that is unatoned for. The place, that's why when John the Baptist came, he said he came to bring the, the wisdom, the, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just which is repentance to turn away from sin. Repent, turn away from that. He called them to bring them to the wisdom of the just, the disobedient, to, to leave their sin. In Malachi 3 or 4, it talks about if they hadn't have repented, God would have came and struck the land with a curse. So if we're not turning away from this stuff and we're going towards this other direction, we're not, there's not atonement for a place to have sin in our lives. It says, cast out the sin from among you. Cast out the person that's living in sin. 
And that statement seems kind of harsh because we go, if somebody's struggling and living in sin within the church, we would think, don't cast them out. Help, like, go surround them and be, like, you know, comforting to them. Because we think if we cast them out, they're going to be worse off. But the problem is we think that they're, by not casting it out, it's saying that that person feels that they're still okay. They still think they're okay with God, and they're, they're not in a place of jeopardy, but in reality, they are. Now, we, we're not, I'm not trying to say let's scrutinize each other and, and do that. I'm trying to say we need to be in the same unity of faith, of understanding that the sin within the church has never been able to be called for. This, this, the scripture, he said, Jesus came to defeat. The reason why Jesus came was to defeat sin, to get rid of it, to not have anything to do, we're to be an unleavened group. And leaven is sin. We're not supposed to have any type of sin in our life. In John 8, when we just read that, it said, if you are a slave, you will not abide in the house forever. And he's talking a slave to sin. So as long as you still have sin in your life, you won't be in the house. But a slave, that's where he says you come into the house of God as a slave, but you won't remain that way. So we must be being set free, becoming slaves of righteousness. We jump to First John 4.17. You might be asking, why am I talking about sin at this point right now? And I kind of touch on this subject quite a bit. And the reason why is because if you actually read this book, that's the main point of what he's getting rid of in our life. It's the, it's, it's, you can't get away from that thought in the scriptures. This thought of, of, of being the old man, it's condemning us. And so I talk about this because I don't want anybody in here coming to the end and going, oh, dear God, I did not see that one coming. I didn't see the strict, strict line that this thing actually is. I don't want anybody to be coming up to the end of it and going, man, I just didn't realize it was that way. I don't want you coming in and thinking we were saved because he forgave us. That's part of it. He saved, he forgives us and makes us righteous and holy with God so that we can live a holy life now through his spirit. Because it's his spirit in us that saves us. So 1 John 4.17. In this way, love has been perfected among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like him. So, our confidence in the day of judgment is us being perfected in love and looking just like him in this life. So, our confidence, so when you come into the day of judgment, our confidence in that day when we stand before him is we looked just like him. That's a lot different than just thinking, I'm coming into the day of of judgment and my confidence is I'm forgiven. That's not what the confidence is. Our confidence is we look like him. I'm going to go ahead and read 18 
There, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. So right at the beginning it says in 17, in this, in this way love has been perfected among us. We look like him. We have confidence. There is no fear in love. So that we recognize the way that they're looking at judgment is are you perfect in love? Are you perfected in love? Christ is love. God is love. We are to be as he is. So when you recognize you're walking in a manner that's not correct in love, according to the scripture, he's saying that's a place that should testify that you have a fear of punishment. You have a fear of judgment in your life because you're walking in a manner that is not perfected in love. It's a revealing spot to go, boom, okay, that's, we look at this thing. See, there's only one interpretation, says there's only one interpretation. The scripture, there's not multiple interpretations. Well, you take it that way, I'll take it this way. It says there's only one interpretation. So how do we know what interpretation of scripture and what we're believing, if it's correct or not? How do we know that? If we weigh what we're seeing against Scripture and it's all coinciding, then, then we're probably on the right path. But if you have a belief system that contradicts and you kind of go, well, but I thought I was saved by this or I thought it was this way, this Scripture doesn't quite make sense. We'll put that to the side because that one is a little different than what this looks like here. We have a wrong belief system. Something is not straight in line. Something is askew. We have to make sure that this all accounts. It all makes sense. There shouldn't be any flaws or some reasonings that don't make sense. And jump to Hebrews 3. Okay, so if the truth is a knowledge according to godliness, that's the truth. And any time you have anything that tainted that knowledge or that, that situation of what truth has been called, it's no longer truth anymore. It's, it's false. So that's why I'm bringing those scriptures up to say, look at these scriptures. Let's not make these false. Let's leave them to say the standard and strictness of what they are saying. Let's not change them or, or taint them. And now let's look at Hebrews 3. Um, seven, I know it's going to be a little bit of a reading here, but this, you guys ever think about and wonder about, um, what the gospel was for the Old Testament? Because if you think about it, they lived to something different. It was a shadow in the Old Testament. They only got a shadow of what was coming. All the prophets were prophesying for this point of what we live in now, for Christ's coming, and now we've received the promise. But they only looked forward and only saw the shadowing of what it was. And they lived in a manner of, of their time, of their gospel, of what they were called to, which was only a shadow of what we have now. So if we look in Hebrews 3, 7, I'm just going to kind of read through it and we'll... Try to dissect a little. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness 
where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Okay, let me just, I don't know if everybody knows where we're at. It's basically, he's talking about the Israelites being in the desert, not entering into the promised land. So he's, he's correlating that situation and he's going to connect it with us. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter because of unbelief. Okay, so he just now got done explaining the Israelites, God was mad with them because of their disobedience. They didn't enter in. And the reason he says, I want you to look at this last part. And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter because of unbelief. So why does he say didn't obey and then unbelief? Because he had told them, this is your promised land. Go and spy it out. Moses told them, spy it out. Go and look at it. They went and looked at it, and then they came back and said, we can't take it. We can't, we're tiny. We're grasshoppers in their sight. We can't come into that promised land. We can't do it. So what happened? They disobeyed God because they did not believe that it was theirs. He said, this is your land. I've given it to you. And they, when they saw it, they went, whoa, these giants are huge. We can't overcome them. So then they disobeyed God because of their unbelief. So jumping to four, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For if indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has he himself ceased from the works 
as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So you can see that they heard the gospel just as we did. So their gospel was, here's the promised land. They went and looked at it and they saw these giants of flesh. It's the symbolism of the sin, the giants of the flesh of sin in our life. And they came back and said, we can't defeat that. And so most of them, because of unbelief of what God says, I've given it to you, they didn't believe him, disobeyed. So now you see that there's disobedience because of the unbelief of what God has said. And now we sit here and look at the same situation in front of our life in a different gospel, same gospel, but clear now. Not shadowed, but now the truth. And Jesus came and defeated sin, the giants of flesh that we're sitting here staring in front of, defeating it, and now coming and saying, now you guys be aware that if you don't believe this, you'll live in a manner which thinks these giants of sin, flesh, can't be defeated. And then we're saved by forgiveness. He didn't come to forgive the disobedience of the people. He came and said, believe what I've said, and you'll live in obedience. So he has defeated sin and the nature of which we used to live, and now because he's done that, we can live in obedience to what he's called us to. But that's where we believe. We don't want to be the ones that come back and go, give the testimony of going, we can't defeat, that's too much. We all know that nature, that giant flesh of sin. We can't beat that thing. You know how it is. It's constantly springing up anytime a situation arises and you just lash out or you give in to your own urges and desires. That can't be defeated. That's what, that's what that thinking is saying. It's the same thing that happened to them. They went and spied it out and said, we can't defeat those giants of flesh. And now he's going, now you guys be aware now, unless you're doing the same thing and saying, we can't do that, and still living in a place of disobedience. So our faith and our belief comes from what God has said he's done. He came to defeat the devil. He came to defeat sin. The just shall live by faith. The righteous live by faith in the Son of God, who has defeated and done this for us. Where am I? It says in 2 Corinthians 7, or somewhere in there, talks about you perfect holiness in the fear of God. So holiness in our life will be perfected through fearing God. When you think about God, when he came down on the mountain with Moses and everybody, the reason why he came down, do you remember why he came down? What was the purpose of him coming down and coming onto the mountain, basically melting the mountain in front of everybody? The purpose was so that his fear would be in them, so that they wouldn't sin against him. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Understanding is apart from evil. It's fearing God 
And understanding what that looks like is going to help us live in a manner to not sin against him. That's the reason why he came down on the hill and literally melted it. And Moses is like, I'm exceedingly afraid. Because he wanted his fear to be in us so that we don't sin against him. Fear of the Lord. We have to have an understanding and a clarity of these things to live in the manner of which he's called us to. It's good. It's, it says it's like marrow into the bones. It's life. See, I don't want, I'm talking about this stuff because I don't want, I didn't know this. I didn't know all this stuff. I, I was raised in church growing up, and I went really far away, as everybody pretty much knows. And when I came back, I was in the Word because I, I needed to be free. I was very much in bondage. And being in this Word, I started finding all this stuff. But I had never been taught this. I always thought it was just basically you kind of do the best you can and you're forgiven and that's kind of how you roll. It's, it's just, hey, I'm kind of saved by being forgiven and you just try to be a good Christian. But none of this was put together for me. And when this is actually put together and how the scripture shows it, it's, it's a pretty straight line. And there's not much of this thought process that gives you a thought that says, I'm just saved because he forgave me. Because these scriptures, the truth, and not mixing with anything, says that we're saved by looking like him. That's our assurance and judgment, is that we look just like him, perfected in love. Anything not walking in perfected of love, there's a fear of judgment. We're going to be judged for everything we say, everything we do, the secrets of our heart, Everything is going to be revealed, and there will be judgment first upon the house of God, and then the other. So if the righteous are scarcely saved, how much harder is it? The standard of what this is called, the truth, has to stay without that point zero 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 one added to it. It needs to stay simply by what it's called us to. Because I don't want, I don't want to come into the situation and have my eyes have been closed because if I close my eyes to the standard of the scripture, I can be comfortable and be assured in where I'm at and feel okay by how I'm living. Because we like, as, as humans, we like to feel secure in how we think and feel. We secure ourselves. Even if it's wrong, we'll close a blind eye because that makes me uncomfortable. I'd rather close a blind eye and feel comfortable now. But if we do that now, we're going to be very uncomfortable when it comes time for that. We don't need to close a blind eye so that we can be comfortable now. Let's get this so that we can be in unity of spirit and walk this thing out just as he's paid for it. Because this is what it, it is. It's the, it's the pure truth. It's not a defilement about how we think and what we've experienced and what we've been taught mixed with it so that we can be comfortable in the situation. See, I, when I went to another church a while, a long time ago, he said, if, if you ever feel that you, you, you question your eternity, just tell the devil to be quiet. Leave you alone. That's, 
You're, if you believe in Jesus, you're safe. And that sounds really comforting. But that's not what the scripture says. And so we need to find our comfort by the scripture. Correlating these hard scriptures and keeping them in front of us and living to that to give us that assurance. Because I don't want to be assured of false assurance and then come to that day and find out I had a very false assurance. We need to keep it straight with this one. In Titus 1.16 it says, They claim to know God, but in their actions they deny him. How many people in here would say, who's going to deny Christ? How many people are going to say, I'll deny Christ? Nobody in here is probably ever going to say, I deny Christ. But the scripture says, you deny him by your actions. So, am I, I have to watch my actions because by my actions I deny him. Doesn't mean I'm just going to be out here and it's just going to, oh yeah, I deny Christ. No, it's our actions, our life. It's the way we live that denies him. Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Be imitators of God, therefore, as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant sacrificial offering to God. But among you, as is proper among the saints, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talking, or crude jokes, which are out of character, but rather giving thanks. For of this you can be sure, no impure or immoral or greedy person that is an idolater has any inheritance with the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So we don't want to be partakers with the sons of disobedience. We don't want to have that part in there with them. Because if we do, we're in trouble. You know, I was, I was preparing for this, for today, and as I was reading and listening to Scripture, I wanted to kind of just talk on truth and the fun part of Scripture, but as, as I'm going through this, I'm listening and I'm going through, and it just keeps, this, this subject line just keeps hitting me and hitting me and hitting me, and I can't escape it. And so I would prefer to be speaking on something else that is like, join like, yeah, hurrah, but... Instead, this is how it kept coming in. And so that, that's why I'm talking in this manner, because the true reality is if we don't see this clearly in this way, we might be able to have fellowship with each other, but it won't be fellowship of the Spirit. Because the fellowship of the Spirit is in purity and truth. And anything outside of the standard of what this is called is not purity and truth. And so we have to get this straight inside of us and live as a unity of, of the faith to walk in holiness. Because without holiness, no one will see God.
the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, consider this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. He's talking to us. He says, my brothers, if any of you should wander from the truth and someone bring him back, he'll save his soul from death. Which means... We're not just saved because we believe in Jesus. It's not once saved, always saved. If you turn and you start to sin, you're on your way to hell. Because the death that he's talking about is not just a physical death. Everybody's going to die. You're not going to save a person from dying. Everybody's going to die. That's not the death he's talking about. He's talking about eternal, the second death. So brothers and sisters, if we see each other sinning, turn, let's turn back because if we don't, we're on our way to the second death because it's the sin that's killing us, disobedience that's killing us. You know, Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord when you see and understand some of this, there's a, there's a place of safety when you fear God. And it's a place that kind of keeps you low and humble and, 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 and in check. It checks yourself. Because when you see these things and you live in a place of the fear of God, it's good. That's why the scripture says it's like marrow unto the bones. It's life. That's why Jesus, I believe, delighted in the fear of the Lord. Because it kept him clean. It kept him safe. Because when we don't have that clear, we're going to live in a manner that is not going to be safe because we have no fear of God, we're going to live in sin. And we're going to think we're okay and we're going to justify it by being forgiven when it's not that way. So, even if this, I don't know how this message is coming across to everybody, but... But having the understanding with the fear of the Lord in this situation and what it looks like is a good thing once, it's, once you understand it and it's established in our life. God is not over here looking and being mad at us because we've fallen and we've missed it. But there is something we will receive for it if we don't get our lives straight. And God is for us and wants every one of us to come to him. He's even, even in the Old Testament, he says, even though you did wrong, don't go away from me. Even when you've messed up, don't turn away and, and run because sin has a tendency to make us run from God and kind of hide. I mean, Adam and Eve were a good example. They ran and hid. How many times have you fallen to sin and then you're kind of like, oh, God, okay, I'm going to pretend that didn't happen, but I'm going to kind of play over here and play with a little bit because our sin makes us aware of of how we're not right with God and we run from him instead of run to him. And he's saying, even though you've sinned and done wrong, don't run away from me. Come here. Come here. 
Stay with me. Come back to me. Don't run away. Come here. Because he's the only one that can help us in that situation. He will free us from it. He wants us free. We have a tendency to think, you know, hey, we're, we're only human. We'll never be free from this. We'll never be free from sin. But that's never what the scripture says. It actually says we will be and we'll be slaves of righteousness. We're not supposed to have this, this old nature still dragging along with us. We're not supposed to leave the giants in the land and start just partaking with them. He killed them. He got rid of them. He destroyed the giant of sin so that we can live totally different. In Daniel 1, he gives us a really, really big key to how to help walk some of this life out. He said, he had purposed in his heart to not defile himself with the king's food and drink. Because when they went into captivity, they, they were going to get fed pork and their own wine and all these things that weren't kosher and their defilement. They were dirty. They weren't supposed to eat these things. So he said, I had purposed in my heart not to defile myself with these things. It might not seem that big, but If we don't purpose in our heart to respond how God has showed us to understand and behold Jesus and purpose in our heart to respond in a manner that is righteous, when we come into the situations of this life, when we're hit by something, we're going to respond by our, our, our nature that is natural in this world, the, the nature, that the tendencies that want to respond in. That's why in, I think it's Romans 8, it talks about being led by the Spirit so that you don't do what you want to do, which shows you there's a nature that we're born into that's accustomed to us that we have to put off because it comes naturally. And that natural tendency of response is a condemning nature. And that's why we need to be led by the Spirit so that we don't do what we want to do. So we must purpose, he says, I purposed in my heart so that I would not defile myself. So I must purpose in my heart to, to, to weigh these situations because we're supposed to be prepared. Shield of faith, helmet of salvation. We're supposed to be prepared and understand the ways and who God is so that when we walk, we can walk in response to God. Walking in step with the Spirit. But if we don't know how the Spirit looks, thinks, and acts, because we're not, we're just walking about, not paying attention, and then we're, bam, we're coming into a situation, our, our, probably our first response is going to be the fallen nature. We must purpose in our heart to be prepared and ready so that when we know there's a situation up here that might, I might be coming into, what is my response going to be? And then when I come to that situation, I'm not overcome by the emotions and feelings or the situation catching me off guard, and then I'm responding I've already, I've already purposed in my heart how I will respond in this situation. When my dad had died, 
Before he had passed away, he was sick. He had Parkinson's type, uh, fast-acting Parkinson's. And when, before he had died, I had already purposed in my heart that I'm not going to let his death poison the mem- my good memories of him. Because you see that a lot. You see the, the loss of, of something dear in somebody's life, a child. I do that with my children. I look at my children and I say, how will I respond if they come out and some drunk driver hits them and runs them over? Something that's wrong on somebody else's part that should never have been. How am I going to respond to that situation? Am I going to respond out of self-frustration, hurt, pain, anguish, anger at the person for wrong and lostness that they're in? Or am I going to purpose in my heart One, hopefully God can raise them from the dead. Two, the person that just hit, what am I going to show them because their life matters now and they're in this moment? Am I going to show them Christ or am I going to show them selfishness? So when my dad died, I had purpose in my heart, I'm not going to let this thing tarnish the memory of him and be filled with bitterness and hurt. And so through when he died, through his death, I was okay. But then, right after, just within a couple days, the thought, because see, I was born on my dad's birthday on Father's Day. So I had always shared my birthday with my dad. So all my birthdays were filled with my dad, Going, going down the river and fishing and, and doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, me and my dad were close. I, I, he was like one of my best friends here on earth as far as a male goes. And so <clears throat> the thought came in, I'll never get to have a birthday with my dad again. And that tried to come in with sorrow to hit me. But because I had already purposed in my heart that that wasn't going to be, I got to say, oh, wait, I'm not going to receive it that way. I will be glad and rejoice in the fact that I got to have that many birthdays with my dad. And now when my birthday comes, it's a celebration of all the times that we got to have together. That beats being hurt and broken and torn apart and all these problems going on and all these things. Because if we don't purpose in our heart to serve God in righteousness and truth, then we will be taken by this life and everything we're going through we're going to just experience life and the, how, the, how the flesh responds and how the nature, the fallen nature that God came to save us from, we'll live out of that thing and constantly be having problems down the road because we've never purposed in our heart, I will live this way. I will live this way. We must purpose in our heart to serve God in righteousness to see the word clearly, to understand that we've been set free from this giant of sin and that we must believe because we don't want to be the ones that have came and saw the giants of flesh in the wilderness and then didn't believe the report that it was ours and so disobeyed God because of our unbelief. We want to be believers because that's what we're called, believers. We're believers. Believers in what? The finished work of Christ. He defeated the giants for us. 
And back then, he said he defeated it for them also. It was his victory that he gave it to them. But they didn't believe it. So let's not be in unbelief and so in disobedience. But let's believe what God has said so that we can live in obedience to him and be free from the giants of the flesh in our life. Purpose in our heart to walk in the ways of holiness and righteousness because that's what God has called us to. Prepared all the time with your armor on in order to understand how to live and walk this life outside of these walls in the ways of Christ because outside of looking like Christ, we have a fear of judgment in that day. The word is very sharp, cutting, it's alive, and it's not by any one man's interpretation. There's only one interpretation of this. It says the gospel, there's only one gospel, and it's according to holiness. That's the gospel. There's not a different gospel. It's only one, and it's according to holiness. So when you hear things that don't coincide with holiness and it gives you a right to live by the fallen nature that he came and destroyed, it's not the gospel. It's a straight, strict line, what we're called to. So it's good, because this is actually what he's done. And we don't have to be in bondage to this fallen nature to the giants of the flesh. All that can be gone and we can be free because he came to set the captives free. Just don't run from him. Come to him. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your word to us sanctify us by it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the one that walked this out. He is the one that defeated it. We just live through him now. Help us to see and understand this clearly and not taint any part of the clarity of this word with anything from what we've experienced or thought differently. Fill us with your spirit so that we can walk in this way. Pray for all the children and everybody else in here that you fill them with the fire of your spirit so they can have the truth and be examples into this world. Give us unity of faith, Father. Let us walk in love and compassion towards each other in holiness. Let our lives be surrendered to you. Let us be vessels of honor for you bring you glory. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Who's got communion today? Hey. You got it, Caleb?